What's good with it? This is Mike Sarge, and the MTMV Sports Song of the Week is my song, Energy. You can listen to it now on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, and all other digital platforms. Man, y'all have a blessed day. Salutes to that. All right, everybody, welcome back to the program. That music that you hear in the background is the theme for a show that this this gentleman that I'm getting ready to interview, he produced for during his time at HBO Sports. The name of the show is called 24-7. And we want to welcome to the program a guy who served as a producer for HBO Sports and now is the host of a podcast called Ask the Experts. We want to welcome to the program Curran Batia. Hey, Curran, welcome to the program. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks again uh, for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule to come on the program. How's everything on your end? Doing well, man. Just hanging in there, how everyone uh, everyone is right now with everything going on, all the uncertainty. Um, but things are good uh, right now with family in New Jersey and uh, just hanging in there, man. Absolutely, absolutely. We're all hanging in there as well, my man. Again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the program. So let's get right to it. Uh, You had an illustrious time during your tenure as a producer at HBO Sports. I want to start off with a show that you you served as a producer on and a show, one of my favorite programs during your time at the network is 24-7. For those that may not be familiar with 24-7, 24-7 was basically an an in-depth a preview of upcoming uh, boxing matches or sporting events that were going to be featured. Uh, Curran, just kind of go into detail with the audience out there about uh, your role at HBO Sports, specifically uh, the show 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a great, great show, great program to work on. Um, 24-7, it kind of started the whole follow doc, which was following um, athletes, but it also did it in a – cinematic and artistic way. So it really kind of elevated the production value. It wasn't just um, a basic camera following someone. It was, uh, you know, celebrity narration. It was um, licensed music. It was, um, and then you also had these great storylines of these athletes preparing for these uh, massive events, massive fights. Um, And I was lucky enough to work on a few different um, 24-7 episodes. When I started at HBO, I started as as a production associate. So I was able to work um, on a lot of 24-7 episodes, looking at a lot of footage, logging, organizing, and then eventually uh, I got to work my way up and work as a producer, go out onto site, interview the fighters, and then come back to the edit room in New York, um, write a script, work with an editor, work with a great team, um, and and put together the show. And and it started off as a a once-a-week type show leading up to a big boxing event, and then it started to vary as it went on. Sometimes it would be two episodes, sometimes one episode. Um, but the premise was taking you inside the world of these fighters, preparing for an event, telling you their stories, who they are outside of the ring, their family life. And also, like I said, showing that in a cinematic and artistic way, which I think is really what elevated the show to um, to what it became. Indeed, it, it, indeed it, it did elevate the show to something very dynamic. And again, that's one of my favorite shows on the network. I want to stay with, HBO and uh, the show that you worked on 24-7. We know that HBO and boxing are 
it was like a, a a match made in heaven. It was like a hand in glove. That relationship was uh, so phenomenal. And I want to stay with uh, the show that you produced 24-7. One of my favorite uh, 24-7s that you produced was the one with uh, um, – I'm looking at it right here with uh, uh, Canelo Alvarez and James Kirkland. Uh, can you kind of go into detail, just kind of like uh, the, the preparation behind working on that particular uh, piece? Yeah, absolutely. No, that was that was a really interesting show, really good storyline. So obviously we know Canelo Alvarez, top of the sport right now, definitely top of the sport in terms of personality, uh, in terms of his popularity. Um, and I would say in terms of his fighting skill, I mean, he's also creeping up the pound-for-pound pound rankings. Uh He's been around the game for a long time. I think he turned pro when he was just 16 years old. So he's been in the game uh, for a long time. And he's probably the top pay-per-view draw in the sport right now. Uh, that During that show, I believe that was in 2015, he was taking on James Kirkland, who uh, James Kirkland, if you didn't know who he was at the time, they called him Pocket Tyson, like a mini Mike Tyson in a way. Um, and he was known for knockout power. He was a tough, rugged guy. But one issue was he had some trouble with the law. He got caught a few times, uh, had to go to jail. So he spent significant amounts of his prime away from the sport. And this was one of his fights back. He had the opportunity against Canelo. And I was lucky enough to fly out to James Kirkland's camp to, um, to work with him, work with his team. We filmed him training. We met the people in his camp. And what was interesting about his camp there is that for a long time, if you know the James Kirkland story, you know that he worked with Ann Wolfe, who was a, a great fighter herself and, a, and an absolutely uh, <clears throat> a, a tremendous trainer, but known for the military-style workouts. Uh, you up at you know, early mornings, um, make you hit a heavy bag, which is on the front of a, uh, a car, a moving car. So the car's coming at you, and you have to hit the heavy bag. You have to um, it, it was just a lot of uh, crazy workouts, but that seemed to work. When, when James and her were working together, he seemed to have success to, uh, to win fights, to get out of the tough moments in fights and come back and win. But on this fight, the biggest of his career, he wasn't with Ann. So that was also another storyline that we looked at um, in that fight. And then I actually I went down to Texas to, uh, to go to James's camp to, like I said, meet him and the people he was training with. And then we also took a trip. Uh, to meet Ann Wolf and get her side of the story. And that also became a small part of the show as well in terms of what happened there with their relationship. Um, and uh, so, yeah, th- th- that was, that was the, the storylines of that, of that show for, for leading up to that big event. Another one of my favorite uh, 24-7s, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, great programs that I like, but another one that I've really enjoyed was the one that followed uh, Floyd Mayweather and Victor Ortiz, and you were nominated for an Emmy Award for that. We know that uh, Floyd Mayweather is one of the most iconic and one of the most interesting uh, characters, not personalities, I should say, not just in boxing but just in sports. What was it like uh, following not just Mayweather – what was it like just uh, working on that documentary with uh, Mayweather and Ortiz? Yeah, that was, um, that was a great show. We had two contrasting personalities in a big, big way. Um, that fight, I believe, was in September of 2011. So we, we obviously did the 24-7 series leading up to that. And at the time, Floyd Mayweather, top of the sport, top pound-for-pound pound fighter, obviously one of the best fighters of this era. He also has the personality the charisma which is great for a show like 24 7 because you can show off who he is you can um get good sound bites things like that um the thing about floyd mayweather is he's so good and so technical in the ring but 
he's not a knockout artist. He's not a come forward power aggression fighter. He's he's slick. He's got probably one of the best defenses in boxing history. And so the way he makes up for that in terms of being popular in a way is part of it is his personality, his persona, right? And and in a way he can become the villain, right? Maybe people want to turn this uh, turn this fight on to see this guy lose. He's never lost, right? And so it's almost like every time he fights, people who don't like him want to turn it on to see him lose. Or if you respect the craft, um, if you respect the technical game, if you respect the defense, the movement, everything else that he can do, you want to see that excellence in the ring, right? One of the best uh, who's ever done it. So you had Floyd Mayweather on one side. And then on the other side, Victor Ortiz, who uh, it was also just a very interesting storyline. I got to work on the Ortiz side. I got to see all the footage coming in from camp. Um, Like we said, this was, I believe that was a four-week show, and then we did an epilogue show as well. So I got to see five weeks of footage with our camp, uh, our our DPs, our shooters. We're in the camp for every day, just getting footage every single day, and I was looking through all of it. And Victor Ortiz had his own interesting storylines. I mean, he was supposed to be kind of the next big fighter for Golden Boy Promotions, uh, and he had a couple stuff along the way, um, but he still had power. He was still young. And um, he also had a tough, um, you could say, you know, upbringing. He was abandoned by his parents, um, had to kind of make his own way. And he was still able to get this huge opportunity. This was definitely the biggest opportunity of his life versus Floyd Mayweather, who had been in positions like this as a pay-per-view headliner many times. So it was almost a um, crossroads fight in a way, you could say. And just being able to to have the juxtaposition of the different personalities, the different situations. Uh, I remember a scene that we did, I believe it was for the epilogue show where Floyd gets to the, gets to Vegas. He, well, he lives in Vegas, but just seeing him walk around the town, he's very comfortable. This is what he does versus Victor Ortiz originally from Kansas trained in California. And you could tell this is maybe the first time he was getting the, the suite, the, you know, the star treatment in terms of his hotel room. And he's kind of looking around jaw to the floor, like taking it all in, uh, walking backstage in the MGM, kind of just taking it all in because it was uh, one of the first times for him to be a pay-per-view headliner. So it was just a very, uh, just a big contrast um, in terms of, of the two fighters. And it, and it turned out to be uh, a memorable fight. Um, it was almost an infamous fight in terms of the way it went down. Um, but just being able to produce the content and work with the team uh, leading up to, the, to an event, that was an absolute honor for me. You know, uh, uh, Curran, one of the, the things that I have take that, that I have taken away from the 24-7 series, and you mentioned that not only did you bring these fighters, uh, featured it from a cinematic standpoint, but just not just the physical grind, but also the mental grind as, as well. I heard Larry Merchant make a, a quote once, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and he said, boxing is, is the best sport out there. He said, uh the 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 grind is very grueling, but the rewards are so sweet. That was something that I had taken away from twenty four seven. What were some of the things that you had taken away during your time from producing this series? Yeah, I mean that quote sounds right. I think boxing for me, I'm just as a fan, I'm a combat sports fan. I love MMA. I love boxing. Um, I love all sports, but those combat sports are definitely uh, my favorite. I think it's just inherently interesting because. I feel like it's the ultimate form of competition. And what I mean by that is if you look at another sport, when the players get really up, they get really angry, like in hockey uh, or baseball or something like that, 
you, you think about what do they do? You know, they're already, they're already competing on the field of play. If they get really amped up and angry, they start fighting, right? In hockey, you drop the gloves and you start fighting. Or in baseball, you see uh, someone charge the mound, you know, at the pitcher. So I think, uh, you know, in boxing or, or MMA, there's really nowhere else to go. You're already fighting. There's an opponent across from you. Um, and and that's, that's the situation you're in. So that's why I've always felt it was the ultimate form of competition. I've also heard that it's, it's just inherently interesting. You know, you probably heard, I think Max Kellerman uh, said it. I think others have well, others have said it as well in terms of the, the four corners theory that, you know, if you're at a, at a, at a stop sign and there's four different corners, if you know, someone's playing a sport on one, doing another sport on the other. And one of those is fighting. I think most people would towards the fight. That's what they would watch. It's just um, inherently interesting to us. And for, you know, uh, for fans, it's, it's been it's been something that's been around for a long time. You know, back to Roman amphitheater days and things like that. There's, combat has always been um, part of who we are and, and what we like to watch. And so, it's obviously been great to just see the evolution um, of fighting the way it is now. Obviously, in terms of MMA with UFC and all the other promotions, and then with boxing, um, boxers can become the highest paid athletes. It depends. Uh, there's also you know, a lot of boxers who aren't getting paid handsomely. There's a lot of, you know, journeyman fighters, people who are fighting, um, you know, a few times a month or, you know, many times a year trying to make a living. So there's obviously a whole range of, of uh, you know, the, the fighters in terms of what they're able to, uh, to get from fighting. So, <clears throat> but it is, it is around, it's there every day. And uh, that's why for me, uh, combat sports are definitely my favorite sport. Let's stay with boxing for a moment. I mentioned about HBO and boxing having a, a winning combination, again, being a match made in heaven. HBO, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I've been a, a fight fan for many, many decades, and I know that um, boxing was the thing that put HBO on the map. I know HBO was known, well, is known for airing movies and original programs. Boxing was, in my opinion, was what put the network on the map. When the network ended its coverage, I know there were there were a lot of uh, people that were very sad about it, and rightfully so, because I mean it was a part of uh, my growing up and a lot of people's uh, uh, growing up uh, with HBO Sports and World Championship Boxing, and then later with Boxing After Dark. What were some of the determining factors with HBO ending its relationship uh, with the sport of boxing? Yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously the end of an era. I believe it was 45 years that boxing was H on HBO, and it was definitely the gold standard at the time. I think if you spoke to young fighters in the gym, uh, a lot of their dreams and aspirations were to fight on HBO, right? It was that that coveted award in a way, just to be able to fight on HBO. Um, and it was synonymous with the top fights in the world, the championship fights, the big pay-per-view fights. And also, you know, you also were able to discover new fighters. They were boxing after dark and other series like that. Um, so it was, it was an honor for me to work there for a long time, to get to do 24-7, to get to do live events, uh, go out to these fights uh, and, and work with the production teams and work on, on those fights as well, to interview fighters, to tell these stories. And I think at the end of the day, it was, it was a business decision um, for HBO. Uh, the reason that um, I believe management gave was that they felt that um, subscribers weren't subscribing to HBO only for boxing anymore. And so if it wasn't a determinant factor um, and the business model is to get subscribers and the product you're offering um, doesn't do that, then, then that seems to be a business decision. I didn't have the data 
in front of me. I didn't have, um, I wasn't looking at it in the same way. So I, I don't really know. Uh, I do know that there's a lot of fans of it. I know people love the brand. I know that it, it was a really successful brand. Um, but that was the decision uh, that they made. And then now you're seeing boxing show up on a lot of new platforms, a lot of more uh, new places. It's, it's on Fox, uh, Fox Sports a lot more. We know streaming services like The Zone are coming in. ESPN has signed a big deal uh, with Top Rank, which they're in the middle of, and they're putting on uh, fights right now, which, which definitely deserves to be applauded in terms of the pandemic right now. Uh, they're putting on a bunch of shows. I think Matchroom Boxing has been very innovative with their partnership with The Zone and Sky Sports in, uh, in Europe. So there's a lot of uh, new faces in the game, and um, there's a lot of boxing out there, and it's just, uh, it's just different times now than it was before. Let's stay with HBO and uh, World Championship Boxing. You had the pleasure of, of working with some uh, great talent uh, from Jim Lampley, uh, Max Kellerman, Roy Jones Jr., and some other gr- uh, great people. What was a, a typical uh, production day like just uh, leading up to the telecast? Yeah, I definitely absolutely had the honor of working with some of the announcers. Uh, in my opinion, Jim Lampley, the best play-by-play announcer there is, um, working with Max Roy Jones, like you said, Bernard Hopkins, Andre Ward, uh, Larry Merchant, many others. And for my roles, I had a, I had a bunch of different roles. I, you know, I started out at one position and then worked my way up. Um, so I, sometimes I would be in the production truck. Sometimes I would be uh, ringside sitting right next to Jim Lampley, um, you know, helping his producer. And so for me, that was, that was an absolute honor. And I, I got to learn through osmosis in a way, you could say, you know, uh, sitting right next to the great Jim Lampley and working with him. Um, and that actually shaped my career because I started as a, as a producer at HBO, like you said, and then I've moved into on-air broadcasting myself. I host uh, my podcast called Ask the Experts. I, um, I call fights, uh, undercard fights for Triton MMA, which is on Bleach Report Live and Pluto TV. I, I host a boxing debate show, um, and, so, and I love interviewing fighters. So that is actually kind of what propelled me towards wanting to get on camera, to be that on-camera storyteller was working um, with all of those great talents. And, and what I could say is, is just working with them, um, you, you, you get to learn a lot and, and notice, you know, how much knowledge is there, but more importantly, the best way to present that to an audience. And I think that's, that's the key. Um, you know, everyone has, does their research, everyone knows a lot, but it's, it's how you're going to present that story during a fight. And I, and I thought uh, Jim Lampley and Max Kellerman um, and everyone else on the team did, did a great job doing that. You mentioned Larry Merchant. I know Larry Merchant was a, a part of HBO boxing since the beginning. What was some of? I know he had a, a storied a journalism career as well. What was some of the, the uh, things that you took away from him, and what did you learn from him during the, your time at the network working with him? Yeah, no, I, I was fortunate enough to work with Larry. Um, from time to time at HBO. And then I actually more recently, I was able to interview him for my, for my show, for my podcast. And I got to learn a lot. Um, I think what Larry, Larry's one of the many reasons Larry was successful is when there was a post fight interview, you knew that he wasn't going to shy away from asking the tough question. And he was going to ask the tough question that fans at home wanted an answer. Bizarre or uh, interesting or different happened in the fight, you knew that Larry wasn't going to shy away from asking that. And 
you know, we talked about the, the Floyd Mayweather and Victor Ortiz fight. I mean, if you go look at the post fight interview of that, that's, that's a classic example of what I'm talking about. Um, he, he was able to uh, ask those questions, and then he was also just able to inject the most interesting storylines and what was at stake into the fight. He was known for that final comment right before the opening bell, and it really just set the stage for what we were about to see. Um, and so I think what, what made Larry was he was unapologetically himself. Um, he was, he was able to ask the tough question and just, just set the scene of there's so much more than just two people trying to, uh, to hit each other in the ring. There's, there's so much more at stake in terms of their family, their country, anything. And he was able to bring that out and, um, let people know what those storylines were. Man, that's awesome. And, you know, again, just being synonymous with that broadcast, again, you mentioned uh, Bernard Hopkins and Andre Ward and also uh, Max Kellerman, who did a great job as well. But let's get back uh, to Jim Lampley. Jim Lampley called so many great fights uh, uh, for that network. When I think of Jim Lampley, I just think about, as you mentioned, about the presentation and the storytelling and, um, you know, the emotion he provided. When I think of fights such as uh, the Gotti Ward uh, trilogy, what were some of the – um, things that you uh, acquired or just learned from uh, Jim Lampley, just in terms of your uh, presentation and how you approach things with your podcast. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I definitely learned from Jim Lampley. Like I th- said, like almost through osmosis, getting to sit next to him. We're both on headset. We're listening to everything, and I'm kind of seeing the instructions that are given to him and how he responds. Um, and I also was able to work on uh, a piece for him on his thirtieth anniversary. Uh, in terms of calling fights, I got to look at some of the most memorable of all time that he did, um, and he's been he's been great. I've been able to chat with him, and obviously, when I wanted to get into play-by-play and announcing, that's someone I reached out to just for advice, just to to talk to him about what he does and how I could learn from that. Um, and so, I've definitely used some of those methods in my own podcast. Uh, when, like I said, I get to do uh, play-by-play, uh, some ringside reporting, on-air work, and I get to I try to emulate that. As well, I think I think the thing I learned most is that anyone can call a fight. You can say, "Oh, there's a left hook, there's a jab, whatever." That that's not as complicated. I think it's it's what we've been talking about. What Jim was so good at it was injecting the storyline into what you were doing, into what was going on in the ring, and just enhancing the drama in that way. Um, if you look at at Gotti Ward, uh, like you said, I mean, it, it's it's just his and his him speaking about what's in line what's on the line for each guy just enhanced the action so much. And there were so many other fights uh, that you could go to and just, just randomly off the top of my head, for example, a great call by Jim was uh, when Amir Khan fought Marcus Maidana and, and Amir Khan was, you know, doing his thing, he was winning. And then in the 10th round, Maidana came on and he was known as a knockout punch. And if you just watch that, that 10th round, you could hear call and you hear him say, will he hold, will he hold saying Khan, who's, who's almost broken here, almost down, will he take that what, what in boxing if you hold in a way? It's a little bit of a, a cheap move because you're buying time, right? And he said he won't. He wants to fight on wobbly legs, right? Too, he has too much heart. So it's almost like his bravery is, is going to get the best of him here because that he's going to put himself in the fire, and that may not end up being a good thing. Khan ended up winning that fight. But that was just one example of how Jim was able to uh, – to, enhance the drama of a fight by talking about what's at stake there um, and not just um, 
you know, calling just the action simply. It was, it was really more about the, the background and the storylines. Oh man, that's that's awesome right here. That's awesome to hear. And you had some uh, great moments during your time at HBO Sports. Quickly, Curran, just uh, give our audience uh, some of your uh, favorite fights that you had the pleasure of, of working on working on during the, your time at the network. I mean, there's there's so many. It's hard to list. Um, obviously, more recently, we were able to do the Canelo versus Triple G fights, and I think just being able to be there, interview Gennady Golovkin and Canelo, but uh, I think the rise of Gennady Golovkin was, was really, really interesting. Um, the rise of Manny Pacquiao was, was another great one. I, I've always found those, those immigrant stories really appealing. Um, coming here, uh, you know, maybe not speaking the best English, uh, maybe not a lot of people not necessarily knowing who you are or where you're from, uh, and I think that was kind of the case for Pacquiao and Golovkin. Um, and being able to win fans over, uh, through your, you know, performance in the ring and build fans that way. And then, then they get to know you. Um, and so that was, that was just an honor for me to, to see that um, kind of that immigrant mentality, that story of coming here with not a lot and then building something huge and becoming like a global superstar. Um, so following the rise of Manny Pacquiao, Gennady Golovkin would be one Canelo Alvarez in terms of everything he achieved uh, would be another. And, and there was just so many great fighters on HBO. I mean, it, the times I was there, it, you know, we had the, the absolute best fighters and just being able to see them develop, being able to see them go through their careers. Um, it was, it was, an, it was an honor for me. And, and um, there was just, you know, I was at almost all of the big fights um, that took place at on in HBO during my time there. So um, there's probably too many to list out, um, but, but a lot of great fights there for sure. When I think of HBO, you mentioned some of those great names right there. Uh, Miguel Cotto, what was it like? I know Miguel Cotto was one of my favorite fighters to watch, not just on HBO, but just in, in boxing, period. Uh, what was it like uh, just working on some of his fights? Yeah, Miguel Cotto is just a professional's professional. Um, every time I went to his camp or got to interview him, um, he was just the most uh, consummate professional there is. And that, what I mean by that is just doing everything the right way. So he's not going to cheat anyone in training. I think he used to get up at 3:45 AM for training. Um, and if, for example, like if he commits to a media obligation or an interview, he will be there. Um, and it, he was just such a, a workman, workman like professional and just every day doing his job for his family, for, for representing Puerto Rico. And, and he's a, you know, a proud fighter in that way. And, he also was, was, had some vulnerabilities, you know, some ups and downs in the ring. And we know that he had to go through the Margarito situation where Margarito uh, accused of cheating, of course, in their first fight. And then he was able to overcome that and avenge that loss and beat Margarito um, in the rematch. So being able to, to work with a great fighter like that, I mean, it was amazing. He was, he was uh, definitely a celebrity, but I would say he was still a very humble guy. Um, he did his did his work in the ring, a great, great fighter, a brilliant fighter. And then I was also able to work with him and Freddie Roach um, towards the end of his career. It was almost like a career renaissance in a way. And um, that led to him fighting Canelo Alvarez, uh, which, had, you know, the fight eventually didn't go his way, but it was still a great partnership with him and Freddie Roach. And it was, it was really interesting to see, uh, you know, like a, you know, a, a reinvention of Miguel Cotto in a way and get, going back to that aggressive Miguel Cotto with that left hook. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. A brilliant fighter. 
Um, great guy, great person, and it was, it was to to work with him during his time at HBO. You know, Curran, you had you've worked at some great venues during your time with the network. Can you tell the audience we know about? Of course, we know about Madison Square Garden, where in New York City it's the world's most famous arena, and of course there's Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, and there's the MGM Grand Garden. But I want to know what were some of your uh, favorite venues that you enjoyed working during your time at the network? If you want to say the Garden, if you want to include the Garden or Caesar's Palace, that that's fine. Yeah, well, you know, for me, we were located in New York. I live in New York City. Um, obviously, the garden with the history of what it has is is amazing. We did a lot of fights in Las Vegas, a lot of fights at MGM Grand Garden Arena. More recently, it was the T-Mobile Arena, which was another um, spectacular venue. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of really great venues, and there's really nothing better than a fight week in Las Vegas for a big pay-per-view fight um, for the biggest fights of the year. It's just a great feeling. There's a, there actually is a buzz. Uh, you actually feel it when you're there, walking around, talking to people. If you go to the fight hotel, whether it be MGM Grand or Mandalay Bay or wherever, um, if you are you know, some, a, bo- a boxing announcer or talent or someone like we talked about, Jim Lampley, Max Kellerman, someone especially like Roy Jones, if you're walking around the casino floor or the hotel floor, you are going to get mobbed. This is going to be like the Beatles. Like it's, it's – um, it's going to be crazy because there's so many fans that come from all over the country, all over the world to watch their, their fighters fight. Um, the fandom is just, is just something to, to take part, to, to, to take awe at. Um, I, I spoke to uh, um, someone who was Philippines and they said they spent, you know, 12 hours flying to come to the fight. They saw Manny Pacquiao for about six minutes. I think when he knocked out Ricky Hatton and um, the comment the gentleman made to me was it was worth it. Uh, so I think, people coming around from all around the world just to, just to watch these fights. You can feel the buzz, but in terms of the best venues or situations, I mean, obviously those are great, but I also really enjoyed going to small towns, not smaller towns um, and, and learning about fighters who are more local to the area. So part of what we were lucky enough to witness uh, at HBO was the rise of Terrence Crawford from Omaha, Nebraska. And we were able to go to his hometown uh, go to his street. I was able to go to his street that he was that he grew up on. Interview him as he walks down his street with his family there, his friends. Just just learn more about him, his story. And so we were able to do that in a bunch of different cities around the world, uh, around the country. And um, that was also really cool, just to see where these people are from, where these fighters are from, what's their story, what's the community that rallies behind them. Um, and so that was also that was equally as exciting to me as as the big pay per view fight. Just going to the more local, um, different stops along the way. Wow, that's awesome right there. And I, I want to you know HBO the, the tagline for the network is they they prided themselves on being the network of champions. And you worked alongside another champion, uh, Roy Jones Jr. I know Roy had a uh, well not just Roy Jones Jr. but also Bernard Hopkins and Andre Ward and those guys. The, uh, had such in-depth analysis, or as they say, they were uh, the color analysts for uh, the, the telecast. What was what were some things that you picked up from from those gentlemen? Yeah, I cannot say enough good things about those guys that you just mentioned: Roy Jones Jr., Bernard Hopkins, Andre Ward. Just some of the best analy- analysts in the game. Um, just brilliant, brilliant boxers in their own right, and then being able to translate that to analysis is, is tremendous and being able to work alongside them and learn from them was an honor for me. It's, it's a continued honor for me now too. Um, so just in terms of the guys you mentioned, I mean, Andre Ward 
was absolutely perfect in the ring. I think he retired at age. He was, he was undefeated. I believe he was only 33 years old when he retired. So still young, uh, still had his, you know, as they say, the faculties about and didn't take too much punishment or anything like that in his career and has become one of the best analysts in the game. Uh, you can see him on ESPN uh, right now on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He's, he's doing a great job. And I think what he does really well is he puts in, in the minds of a fighter. Um, he kind of tells you, things that uh, a fighter may be thinking in terms of motivation, what he would have said to a fighter between rounds. You can hear him say sometimes um, you can, the, the, the drive, the hunger. And he was just such a hard worker, did everything the right way. Uh, and so g- being able to um, hear his analysis in that way with that, that fighter's mind is great. Uh, Bernard Hopkins um, is just another, just a really great, uh, boxing mind. He, he fought it, I think, into, until he was 51 years old. He had to literally be knocked out of the ring to leave the sport. And uh, I was able to cover a bunch of his fights and, and work with him. Um, and he's just, I mean, he's been around the game for so long, but he's also known as kind of like that wily veteran. He'll do the, you know, if the ref is not looking, he may use a veteran move of hitting, you know, a fighter in a certain place, getting small advantages in that way, doing everything to get the advantage. Um, and so I think he had a really great perspective about, about that uh, and just great analysis overall. And then, of course, Roy Jones. I mean, Roy Jones, one of the most prolific fighters of all time in the 1990s. I mean, he was a pound-for-pound number one for a long time. Uh, and it was a little different for him in terms of him versus Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins, as, they, as he got older, made the adjustments in a different way. It was a more, um, was, was a more crafty fighter. Roy Jones was so gifted physically and he did so well in the beginning of the career. And then he had to make adjustments as he went on. Um, and he, he also fought, I, I was at his last fight covering his last fight. I believe he was 49 years old at the time. And that was um, his final fight from Pensacola, Florida. I was there for that. Um, it, to see the community that rallied around him. I mean, this guy who was an absolute hero to that community. Um, one of the best fighters of all time, as we mentioned. And um, again, I think, I think in terms of, what Roy brought to the table, I mean, just superb analysis, seeing things that literally no one else would see, um, seeing things in fighters that no one else would see. And I remember I was sitting next to Roy one, one time during some undercards. I believe it was untelevised undercards. And there's a young fighter in the ring, uh, and he got knocked down. And, and he didn't look to his coach. He looked to Roy, who was at the broadcasting booth sitting right next to me. And he looked to Roy. And Roy, you know, Roy could have just not look, looked way he didn't do that he he had a kindness about him he he told the guy hey keep your chin up do this he gave he gave him some you know 10 seconds of advice which i'm sure helped that fighter in that moment um and that just speaks to roy's character um and so like i said one of the best analysts as well and i think he absolutely 100 percent sees things in the boxing ring that just no one else in the world does just based on his experience uh so those are all really great fighters and really great great analysts that you mentioned there i know uh Eight boxing is currently not uh, covered by the network anymore, and I know you don't work for the network anymore. But will there be ha- will there be maybe good uh, boxing possibly make a return to HBO in the near future? Is there a, possi- a possibility that that could happen? Uh, I, that's a good question. I, I don't know that answer. I mean, as of right now, obviously boxing has moved on to other platforms, and you figure promoters have signed deals with other streaming services or networks right now the major players the zone the major players in america the zone which is the streaming service has a partnership with matchroom 
uh, which is a really great innovative promoter um, with Golden Boy Promotions. Then you have Top Rank, who has a deal with ESPN. That was a long-term deal, um, and that seems to be doing well uh, so far. Um, we have Showtime Boxing, which is still still in the game, um, still consistently doing fights. Um, and then, of course, PBC, uh, Premier Boxing Champions, has a partnership with Fox. I've been able to do some great freelance work with, with The Zone, with, with Fox PBC, uh, with ESPN. So um, it seems like a lot of these have their, their platforms set. So it would probably take something, you know, to happen for that to change. Um, but I guess you never know. I think in terms of the production value uh, that HBO brought to the table, I mean, I think it was the absolute gold standard. I think we had really, really great people, um, and we were able to tell these stories uh, in, 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 you know, in a top-level way. And so, um, you know, I think it was a really good era while it lasted, and will it come back? I, I don't know. All right, well, fair enough. I mean, as they say, in, in the business, you just never know. And uh, a lot of those uh, other venues are doing their, doing great jobs as well. But, man, HBO is just something else with that production value in the boxing. But I want to um, – I'm looking at your, uh, more of your bio right here. You're currently uh, a four, you're a four-time Emmy Award uh, nominated producer. And you also, in, a, in conjunction, not just working with boxing at HBO, you also had the opportunity to serve as a, uh, one of the producers for the road to the NHL winter classic with the Red Wings and Maple Leaf series. I think um, the NHL did wonders with doing the winter classic and having this, this outside hockey game. Tell our audience just a little bit about what your role, your role was on the uh, road to the NHL winter classic. Yeah, you know, the HBO 24-7 series that we talked about, it was the documentary series. I think it was such a good uh, platform to storytell about sports that there really was no reason to just keep it to boxing. And so they were able to expand the series. Um, they did one on NASCAR. They did them on hockey. They've done one on golf more recently. And um, I did work on the road to the NHL Winter Classic, so the Winter Classic uh, an outdoor hockey game played in the beginning of the year in early January. Um, the show I worked on was the Detroit Red Wings versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. And what you get in, in hockey is um, you just have so many personalities. It's not just one boxer versus one boxer. You have a team full of people. You have a coach. There's so many different things going on. Um, and so that was really interesting to work with all these, you know, to see all these different personalities uh, I also got to listen to these games and we'd have so many players mic'd up. So I'd be, I'd be watching a game back and listening to maybe 16 different mics go off at the same time in terms of different, different um, hockey players talking um, as they're playing the game, talking to each other, kind of hearing the back and forth that goes on during, during a hockey game. So that was, that was really cool to work on. And uh, yeah, in, in the same way, it was just, uh, it was storytelling before a big sporting event. I mean, in the same way that a fighter prepares for a fight, uh, these guys were preparing for the winter classic. And so it was, it was uh, tremendous. Just, just hearing all the different players and, and showcasing who they were telling their stories. Um, and it was, it was absolutely, it was really cool to work on for sure. 
All right, so that's uh, just some of the things that you've done during your time uh, with HBO Sports. Now let's move on to, uh, let's transition out to the next thing, uh, your various on-air roles. You mentioned, Curran, that you've done uh, some freelance stuff for DAZN and also with uh, Pluto TV and also Fight TV. Just tell our audience just a little bit about your your various on-air roles that you've done since uh, departing from uh, HBO Sports. Yeah, yeah. So my role as a producer at HBO is great. It was an honor. And um, as we know, HBO moves on from boxing. So for me, that meant looking at my next move. I've been lucky enough to um, be able to do a lot of different freelance producing. Um, I've worked with uh, doing some live production for some events uh, at The Zone. I've done um, some of the the 24-7 style documentaries for PBC on Fox. And um, I got to produce some countdown shows for some of the biggest recent fights, like Keith Thurman versus Manny Pacquiao, Errol Spence versus Sean Porter. I got to produce those. Um, most recently, in the beginning of this year, I was the producer for the countdown show that aired on Fox and ESPN, and that was looking at the big rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Um, and so that was that was honor for me. And then that was a massive show with two different networks involved, two different promoters, a huge t- heavyweight title fight. Um, a rematch of a first fight that was a draw. And so being able to interview those fighters, interview um, ESPN people, people from Fox as well, uh, that, was, that was an honor for me. And uh, like you said, for me, the, the kind of the next evolution and the next step from storytelling from behind the camera was I wanted to storytell from in front of the camera. So been lucky enough to be the play-by-play announcer for some of the undercards at Triton MMA. That's on Pluto TV and Bleach Report Live. Um, I, ho- I co-host a debate show, which airs on FUBU, FUBO TV. Um, <clears throat> I interview a lot of fighters, uh, and my interview with Adam Kovnowski, um, who's a heavyweight fighter, that was featured on Fox. Uh, so that was an honor for me to be on Fox and, and uh, as an on-camera interviewer. Um, and so for me, the, the goal is just to uh, continue um, interviewing fighters. I do a podcast called Ask the Experts. Uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts or on my YouTube page, which is youtube.com backslash Karambatia. And I love interviewing fighters. I love play-by-play. I love calling fights. And my goal is just to be that on-camera storyteller. Um, really all the things that we mentioned, just being able to be that voice of someone who can speak to fighters but then also call combat sports and, and tell the story of what's going on um, in the ring or in the cage. You mentioned about your various on-air roles. One of them in particular is a a dynamic streaming service called DAZN, which has been around for a minute. I know DAZN specializes in um, other sports, but it seems to me that that since they've launched, boxing has really been the really the the, the coup de grace for the network. Uh, tell our audience just a little bit of, uh, a little bit about what your association is with uh, the streaming service DAZN. Yeah, for me, I've been lucky enough to work with The Zone um, in a few different capacities in the live production truck, um, doing a bunch of different roles. I, I, there's a uh, company who hires the live production um, people, you know, freelancers, things like that, called Belmonte Productions, who I knew. So I got to do some work for them. Um, and in terms of what The Zone is and what they're doing, I mean, The Zone is, is, is actually very global. They have a lot of subscribers in a lot of different places. Um, at least before the pandemic hit, I believe they had over a million subscribers in Japan for what they, what they offer in Japan. They have a lot of subscribers in Italy and other parts of Europe. And in other parts of the world, um, you could say they're similar to ESPN. 
they have different types of sports. They have soccer, they have baseball, they have a bunch of different things. They have NFL in Europe, I believe. And they started to come into the U.S. market, I believe it was 2018, definitely taking a new and innovative approach, the OTT model, as they say, the over-the-top, which is the streaming service. So instead of getting it on your cable box uh, or a premium network like HBO or Showtime, you pay a monthly subscription or a yearly subscription, and then you get these fights. Um, sometimes you can get very high-level fights, uh, pay-per-view level fights included in your subscription. Um, and so that changes the boxing model overall in terms of it used to be you have regular fights and then you have a pay-per-view, which might be $60, $80. Um, this changes that model. Now, who knows how long that can be sustainable? Obviously, with the current pandemic, I mean, that throws a wrench in everything. But to my understanding, the zone uh, will be coming back in, in July. And I know Matchroom, uh, who I've mentioned a few times, who I think is, is a you know, great innovative promoter, is coming back in August uh, in the U.K. and in America. And um, so I, I think it's an interesting time. They've started their, their offering in America. They started with boxing because I don't know for sure why, but if I had to guess, it would be that other big um, sports like NFL, NHL, things like that have their contracts in place with the networks uh, that they work with as of right now. But boxing is more of a fragmented sport. There's different promoters, different networks, different platforms, different entities. And so, anything that's more fragmented, you would think that you could start to uh, work with different promoters and slowly start to gain a foothold. And um, I mean, they did some of the biggest fights in boxing. They had Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz. I was lucky enough to be at that fight in Madison Square Garden in June of 2019. It was a massive upset when Ruiz beat Joshua. They, of course, covered the rematch from Saudi Arabia. Um, And so it's definitely different. It's definitely innovative. Um, and it seems to be working so far and they're, they're putting on good fights. Uh, and as we said, the pandemic kind of puts a halt to everything, but hopefully later this year, we can get back to uh, some of these huge championship level fights. Rightfully so. And speaking of championship fights or just fights in general, you mentioned about uh, continuing your trend, your, you transition nicely into storytelling. And if you have your, your podcast called Ask the Experts, which it's a podcast that's dedicated to breaking down uh, things in the world of boxing as well as MMA. Let, let our audience know just a little bit more about what you do with your uh, podcast, Ask the Experts. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank, and thank you for for that lead in about, about my podcast. So ask the experts with Karan Bhatti as the podcast It's available on Apple podcasts on YouTube, um, wherever you get your podcasts. And for me, it started off as I wanted to try to tell the stories that no one's telling. That's why I called it ask the experts, get experts opinions. Um, so for example, we, I mentioned the upset win by Andy Ruiz over Anthony Joshua. I wanted to tell it from as many different angles as I could. So I actually interviewed the ring doctor who was at uh, working the fight that night, who examined Anthony Joshua after the fight, um, who had to decide if he had a concussion or not, look at protocols like that. I interviewed the ringside photographer that night. His name's Ed Mulholland. Um, he's one of the best photographers in the game. I interviewed him. Um, and then I also spoke to a bunch of other people. I spoke to a boxing writer, uh, one of the best boxing writers, uh, Thomas Hauser. I spoke to Mike Coppinger, who breaks a lot of news. I spoke to Kelly Fasana from The New Yorker. So I just had a bunch of different takes from a bunch of different experts looking back at a big event. And as the show's gone on, um, I've been lucky enough to get some of the biggest names in boxing as guests on my show and be able to interview them. I've interviewed Deontay Wilder, who's the former heavyweight champion. I interviewed Clarissa Shields, who's the undisputed uh, female middleweight champion. 
Um, I've interviewed Adam Kovnatsky, who I mentioned, uh, Sergio Martinez, who was a great fighter on HBO for a long time, um, and, and many others. Uh, and in terms of MMA, I've been lucky to interview Jorge Masvidal, who's actually fighting this weekend, uh, UFC 251. So the show had a little bit of an evolution in a way where it went also, I still do experts, um, but also being able to interview top fighters, uh, whether it be in MMA or uh, boxing. Wow, you definitely have a, a diverse perspective on your podcast. You mentioned about you mentioned uh, uh, women's boxing, particularly Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields, I mean, she's a, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, and she's been featured on HBO on a few occasions. And of course, you've had her on the podcast. What do you think is is going to be? I know we're we're in the midst of a pandemic right now, but a uh, pre-pandemic, she was certainly her her star was rising. What do you think? Uh, the future holds for Clarissa just in terms of uh, endorsements and maybe um, we're seeing more and more women's uh, matches being featured, but what do you think the future holds for Clarissa? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there's a very, very bright future ahead. Um, I think she's definitely at the top of women's boxing right now. She's achieved so many things that uh, she has to kind of jump weight classes just to get fighters in the ring with her. Um, and so I think she's going to just continue dominating the sport, doing her thing. I think there's a lot of endorsement opportunities, things like that there. Um, and I think it's, it's great that networks promoters are showing women's boxing. I think it's, it should be equal to men's boxing. Like the way you see it in UFC, you might have a women's fight headlighting a card or you, you know, it's, it's right there neck and neck. And I think that's one of the great things about combat sports. It's not, you know, one is more popular than the other necessarily. And so I, I think I, I'm a big fan of men's boxing. I'm a big fan of women's boxing. And uh, she's definitely uh, at the top of the game, but there's also a lot of other interesting uh, women's fighters out there. Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, uh, Cecilia Brightcast, who I've had on the podcast um, a few times, is fighting soon. That's a, she's another great fighter who's had a long undefeated, um, undefeated streak in the game. Um, and there, there, I've, I've interviewed Franchon Cruz de Zern, who's another great fighter, Alicia Napoleon Espinoza. Uh, there's, there's so much talent in, in women's boxing. I don't want to leave anyone out. Um, but Clarissa Shields, I would say, is definitely at the top uh, in terms of pound-for-pound rankings. All right, and uh, Clarissa is definitely doing some uh, big things. And uh, uh, speak, you mentioned about the coronavirus and how the uh, the current pandemic has made a lot of people make a lot of changes, not just in with the networks, but also how uh, promoters and how the sport of boxing has boxing has had to adjust. And I know you've had to make some adjustments as well in terms of doing your podcast. But during this pandemic, I want to ask you: uh, during this pandemic. What have you done, and not just in terms of your approach to the podcast, but what have you done overall just to, to make adjustments in how you approach everyday life? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it's it's you know it's a terrible situation with the global pandemic. It changed everyone's life, um, and obviously not for a good way. Uh, in terms of live sports, we know that that you know for a long time was not going on at all. A lot of leagues shut down. It's slowly starting to come back now. Top rank and ESPN doing a great job bringing it back. Matchroom's coming back. A bunch of other people are coming back. So UFC, as we know, has been back. So it definitely changes my approach in terms of uh, speaking to fighters, calling fights, things like that. Um, I used to really like to go to these events and talk to these fighters live and, and, you know, have a microphone and put it up, you know, to them and just chat with them. Can't do that in the same way right now. So that, 
leaves the door open to for Zoom conversations, for online conversations, um, which I'm still trying to do to catch up with people. And, um, you know, you have to look at um, fighters are, are out there right now, but you don't know where someone is in terms of their training camp. Did they have access to a gym or was that gym closed? That changes their timeline for coming back. Um, so it really throws a wrench in a lot of plans for a lot of people or people who maybe had momentum in their career on a, on a winning streak fighting, you know, maybe every few months or whatever, this obviously puts a halt to that. Um, so it's changed my approach where you just want to find new and innovative ways and engaging ways to speak with fighters. You don't want to just have a, a zoom call. You want to try to do something a little bit more fun, a little different. And, um, it seems like the fights are coming back. Um, as long as they come back safely, I think that's a good thing. Um, but obviously that's going to be the key and different events like UFC and we mentioned ESPN top rank and match rooms coming back soon. I'm sure they're going to take the necessary, necessary safety protocols, create a bubble like we've seen in other sports as well um, to allow fighters to, to compete and do it safely. I think that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah, they've I've seen we've seen a lot of the individual sports, boxing and MMA. They've done a great job thus far of us just uh, following the protocol and keeping the athletes and, and staff members safe as well. So uh, um, only time will tell with this pandemic, and it's still ongoing. But uh, uh, Curran, before we let you go, I've got to ask you: Who are some of your favorite fighters that you enjoy uh, watching right now? It could be boxing or MMA, whoever. Um, what who's catching your eye right now? Right now, I mean, there's so many great fighters. Uh, we, I mentioned Jorge Masvidal, who's fighting this weekend. He's actually uh, fighting in the main event on six days' notice, and I think that tells you everything you need to know about him. Uh, I was lucky enough to interview him before he fought Nate Diaz uh, last year, and so I think he's just he always gives it his all in the ring. I think he's just a hungry fighter, and he's had a career resurgence in a way, a resurrection, uh, if, if you will. And so – He's definitely someone that I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing. And in terms of boxing, I mean, there's so many names. There's so many fighters. I think the heavyweight division is just particularly interesting right now. And I, and I mentioned I was lucky enough to work on the countdown show to preview Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury in their rematch. I've been lucky enough to interview Deontay Wilder. Um, and so I just think the heavyweight division is just it's, – it's inherently interesting to, to people because it's the heavyweight champion is the baddest man in the world, and we had some iconic – fighters who kind of transcended boxing, transcended sports and made their way into history, uh, such as Muhammad Ali and in terms of popularity, Mike Tyson. And so right now you have just a very interesting group of, of, of heavyweight fighters. We have Anthony Joshua who came back from his loss. He was able to uh, win his, his titles back and he's, he's holding a bunch of titles now and he's, he's a great fighter, but there are vulnerabilities which make him that much more exciting. Uh, Deontay Wilder, for a long time, was just absolutely untouchable, undefeated. Uh, he had that right hand, which we called the great eraser, just knocks people out. He was almost just waiting to fight, and then boom, it was over with one big right hand. But he faced his first chair of adversity when he fought Tyson Fury in the rematch. And uh, Tyson Fury is just a very interesting character. I mean, he's had mental health demons. He's come back from that, still undefeated. And in the first fight with, with Wilder, he was moving a lot. He looked uh, a little bit more vulnerable. He was knocked down twice. And he decided in the rematch to do a completely different game plan. He bulked up to 273 pounds. Uh, he's a six foot nine man. And he just imposed his will and size on Wilder. And, and he just beat him up and knocked him out. And uh, so he's at top of the game 
uh, in terms of being the lineal champion and now WBC champion. So whatever way those fights play out, whether it be a third fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, whether it be a mega matchup for all belts between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury and the lineal championship as well, that'll be interesting. Um, For a long time, we wanted to see Joshua from the UK versus Wilder from America. So it's almost like any of those matchups that happen uh, will be great for us as, as sports fans and as fight fans. Um, and so that's just, that's just one part of it. I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many different great fighters right now, but that's just uh, something that's catching my eye right now. All right, Curran. Well, great job. And um, uh, tell our audience just a little bit about any uh, future projects that you're currently working on. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like I said, my goal is just to continue my work as an on-air announcer um, you can see me on Triton MMA, it airs on Bleach Report Live, Pluto TV, Fubo TV. You can see my debate show on Fubo TV. You can hear my podcast, Ask the Experts, with Karen Batia. It's on Apple Podcasts. You can see um, fighter interviews and content I do on my YouTube page. That is youtube.com backslash Karen Batia. Uh, you can follow my podcast uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and elsewhere. It's A-T-E underscore podcast. And um, you can follow me on my personal channel on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube. It's Karen Batia, at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. And, uh, yeah, for me, I'm just hoping to continue my journey as an on-air storyteller. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm definitely living my dream right now, doing, you know, what is my absolute passion. And I just hope to continue to do that for bigger and bigger platforms. Um, so hopefully if anyone is seeing this, if, if anyone is listening to this and you haven't seen me yet, hopefully you'll see me soon. Indeed, you are uh, living out living out the dream and continuing on your journey to becoming a great storyteller. You've already done big things and continue to do bigger things, and you you heard it from him. He's Curran Batia. He is a, a former producer for HBO Sports, did great things there, and he's doing even bigger things now. He's the host of a boxing and MMA podcast called Ask the Experts, and he's also done some great on-air stuff with Fubo TV, also Pluto TV and The Zone, and a host of other boxing outlets. Curran, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the program. If ever you want to come back on, feel free to let us know. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for you definitely uh, did your homework, did your research. I absolutely appreciate all the all the great questions, um, and I'd love to be on anytime. Hopefully, I can have you on my show as well. Um, and and yeah, no, thank you so much for the time. And of course, right now, you know, be safe out there. Absolutely, and uh, thank you again. Now, normally, normally, Curran, I always end the program with uh, just some words, but I'm going to let you end in, in the show. Any words that you may have for the listeners out there that maybe uh, um, just kind of going through this tough time right now, or just 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 anything that's on your heart? Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, it's a good question because every guest that I've been talking to recently, I always say, "Can you give the kind of words of encouragement for every you know everything that's going on in the world?" and um, Luckily, luckily, you know, us who deal in, in sports, we get to deal in that world of escapism because, you know, your mind is on something else for a little bit. It's obviously a very tough time. I think from everyone that I've spoken to, the most common theme is that um, <clears throat> tough times don't last, tough people do. Uh, I've heard that from a bunch of different people, and I think it's, it's, it's tough times right now, but we know that there's going to be better days ahead. Uh, and so hopefully – uh, wherever you are, you're able to stay safe and hopefully get through this time. Um, and it just makes you grateful for everything 
that we had before that maybe we took for granted that now going forward we can continue to to be grateful for all those all those things that we are we are blessed with so um hopefully everyone out there is is uh able to stay safe and you heard it from McCurr. And again, thank you so much. And uh, uh, that's going to do it for another exciting edition of the Robinson Show. And until then, remember, uh, stay safe and uh, stay home. But if you have to leave, uh, you know, practice social distancing and wear a mask. Until next time, stick to the script. Uh, we're out of here. Peace. People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. Hey, it's DeAndre Francois. Y'all watching MTMV Sports. Keep it locked.